Is there, is there any intro music? He adds all that. Okay. We've argued about the intro music. That's not true. I have... He, he does he have a name? The, the, <laughs> the great one? The founder? The, the godfather of the yeah. podcast. The godfather chose, of more than the podcast. The village. Chose some music that I didn't love, and so I oh. had to be brave and say... What was it? It was the... Um, did you listen to the first couple episodes? It sounds like... Super. Oh, it, it sounds like when you buy a keyboard and it has the um, set harpsichord tones oh, that it, you can like, like the beats. Mm-hmm. It sounded like that. Okay. And I was envisioning a variety of things from kind of like salsa, like fun. <laughs> salsa. <laughs> this is serious. We're healing the city. Well, so I then understand. I thought like something more melancholic. Yeah. Definitely drab and depressing. <laughs> but then I really yet. liked the music from the Peanut Butter Falcon. Did you see that movie yet? Mm-mm. We're talking about having a showing. We're going to talk about a leadership. Cool. But the music from the Peanut Butter Falcon is really cool. Oops. Oh, wow. Not that. Oh, is that playing like on the podcast now or is that... It's on my phone. Oh, those just but good speakers. Here. Yeah. Are they going to be able to hear this? No. This okay. is just us rambling before we actually start. Oh, this isn't the podcast. No. Yeah. This is for Eric. You're welcome. <laughs> so anyways, I thought something like that would be fun. You know, it's like tiptoey, healing-ish, but we're kind of limited. Well, I think this should be included in the podcast, but you know, he whatever. He can throw it in. He, he can make that decision. <laughs> Okay, so welcome to Healing the City podcast. My name is Adrian Crawford, and today I have a special guest. Wow, they're all special. <laughs> <laughs> every week I have well, a special if, if guest. If you don't say special before your guest, they're going to leave. Like Every guest every week is special because they're an image bearer, right? Yeah. But thanks for saying I'm a special guest. That's really great. So my guest today mm. is Caleb Sommets. Mm-hmm. also known or formerly known as Kevin. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Um, so you were baptized. No, let's not start there. Let's <laughs> let's start with how I know you. So I've known you since we got back to Tucson. Pretty for, much, yeah. Three and a half years. Uh-huh. You got back about 10 months before I started coming to the village. Okay, that would make sense. The first couple of years of us being back in Tucson and going to the village are really a blur and I don't know who was here and who joined yeah. in that time period because it's hard to come back to the village sometimes um, mm. and just take it all in. Yeah, so, I, I hope to not leave. Maybe I'll have to leave at some point and come back, but coming back into the village would be hard because you'd think you'd see all the things that have happened since you, you missed some things. Right. Well, um, all the people that I was friends with, either were married or weren't married but definitely didn't have kids most of them and so you change after you have kids yeah i've well i've heard you talk about certain relationships that were they were a certain way 10 12 years ago and now they can't they can't be right and that's there's a feeling of emptiness sure well if you're not part of that transition it can feel sort of abrupt so I don't recommend yeah. leaving and coming back. I recommend sticking it out. And But you guys had, sounds like, 
to go. I mean, you went to medical school in yeah. Wayne State. Yeah. Where, where we my had grandfather to go. went to medical school. Oh, Did I you didn't know that? Know that. Yeah, There's he, a connection. In the 1950s, he graduated in class of 59. and Downtown Detroit in 1959. Yeah. Wow. So when he comes around the village, it's cool to like point him to Guy, your father-in-law, and David, your husband. And I'm like, he feels out of place here, my grandfather. But there's some people I'm like, they went to the same medical school as you in three different eras, basically. Yeah. You know? Wouldn't that be cool to talk to them about their experiences in Detroit? There's a podcast. Mm-hmm. All three of them talk about what was... Because Grandpa... You know, we really should get a podcast of... That's a great idea of Guy and Lloyd because... I've been talking with Guy a bit recently, and him and Lloyd both love to talk about the Detroit Tigers and the Michigan Wolverines and life in Michigan and mm-hmm. life in Ann Arbor, life in Detroit. And I'm like, hey, great idea. Maybe I'll I'll do that, and you can be here too. That would be great. Cool. The other thing about you that people should know, one of the things that I first made the connection to never forget who you were was when you made your white sauce. Oh. yeah i make uh, alfredo sauce i used to work at the olive garden and that was the best thing you could have was olive garden's alfredo sauce and so is that the recipe no i don't know what the recipe is it's caleb's recipe um well it's delicious yeah thanks i really appreciate that you enjoy it and well i'm a very in general healthy eater but i will eat that stuff till i'm sick (laughs) When you do get sick, I do the same thing every time after I make it because it's just it's cheese and butter and garlic and it's melted and you feel you don't feel well afterwards. But I'm making it for my sister-in-law's birthday next week. So oh, nice. So maybe there'll be some leftovers. Yeah. You know, what was really fun was I we had Jill and Mickey over for dinner like a month ago. Uh And I was like, all right, we're going to just prepare, you know, and I probably cooked Alfredo sauce for 35 people. (laughs) Seriously. So the next day, I I gave you some. Did you end up eating it? I don't think you oh, did. Oh, yeah. Oh, you did? No, okay. we ate all of it. Okay. Good. I licked the bag. <laughs> but I gave some to you, to the Weavidos, to the Mark Crawfords, to my parents, to the Gilchrists. Um, I think that's it. But there was like six families that that's I was... That's awesome. It felt... Because I was like, oh, this is so sad. All this Alfredo sauce is going to go to waste. No, it's not. Everyone said yes, too. I was like, really? You trust some bachelor bringing over cheese sauce to you and you're going to put it in the microwave or on the stove and feed it to your family. And people are like, yeah. And I was like, wow, I, I've come a long way, I guess. Yeah. Anyway. It was, a, it was a blessing for our family. So thank you. <laughs> um, so you grew up in Tucson. Yeah. That's it, correct. And went to Desert Christian. Yeah. And... So you've been a Christian a long time. Yeah, December 7th, 1993, Pearl Harbor Day. I was three years old, three and a half, and we were going around Advent season. We would pray a prayer every night, and it was my turn to pray. And I said, I want to pray. Or maybe, it was, no, it wasn't my turn, and I said, Mom, can I pray tonight? And I said, sure. And then I prayed, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I remember, I remember it, probably my first memory, sitting at a table wearing this little red shirt and having been told by my parents, I think, and maybe others, that there's some process by which Jesus wants to come into your life and heart and you, but he's not going to force himself in. So you can invite him in. You don't have to. 
but I guess I wanted to, and so I did 26 years ago. Okay. Yeah. And at the church that you went to, I'm guessing they did dedications of babies or children. Yeah. Like, or were, I guess here's my question. You were baptized a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. and that was a choice that you made as an adult. Can you tell us about that choice? And Yeah. The, it, well, the baby dedication thing is interesting because I have four brothers. I'm one of five, and all four... Five of us are now baptized, but before two weeks ago, only the four brothers of mine had been baptized, and for years and years, and three of them are younger than me. Like, they got baptized. My brother David, he got baptized when he was five in a bathtub. Steve and Philip Peter all have their own stories from years gone by, and so I stood as this lone dissenter in the baptism. However, of the five boys, none of them were baptized or dedicated as a baby, and I was dedicated at a church in Phoenix, whatever that means, I was dedicated to the Lord by my parents, mm-hmm. but not baptized. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of an odd thing. I, I think it's been, it had been pushed away in my consciousness for a long time, the fact that I wasn't baptized and I felt some shame about it um, and felt like, I had a really great conversation with Ron and Tamaki last September, so 13, 14 months ago, because I baptized David Bloom, and probably as a part of the belonging service last year, Mm -hmm. and that was really emotional for me. I was weeping as this, I think, 11-year-old at the time, as I, you know, who doesn't have a father, asked me to baptize him, and wow, that was an honor, and so I baptized him. And so Ron and Tamaki had me over for dinner, and they were like, what was, so what was that about? You were weeping? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I haven't been baptized. And they were like, oh, why not? And I proceeded to tell them, well, so Jesus talks about, are you prepared to be immersed with the immersion that I'm going to be immersed with? Or you can also translate that as baptism. Because mm-hmm. the disciples, I don't remember the exact context, but they're talking, and he's like, hey, Like, check yourself before you make this decision. Like, I don't think you're prepared to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I'm going to be baptized with. So you couple that with Jesus saying these extreme things like, take up your cross, take up your torture device and follow me every day. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm definitely not ready to be immersed with whatever that immersion is, Jesus, where I am am taking up my cross and I'm being immersed in the baptism of suffering, I, I'm not ready for that. And so, but Ron was like, well, I don't, I don't think you really know Jesus because he's not cruel like that. And he's not, he actually got it right for you. So you're invited to live as a freed son of his or brother of Jesus. And you can make a proclamation Baptism is a powerful proclamation, but there's no performative aspect like Jesus went to the grave. And so what I was kind of conflating was that, oh, I think I thought I had to go to the grave and die and rise again of my own power. And that Jesus was saying, unless you're ready for that, you can't be my disciple. And he is saying something there that needs to be taken seriously, like don't 
don't build the building unless you're counting the cost. Like this is going to be, this means your life isn't yours. So that's what I think the baptism meant for me was that I was saying, hmm, actually my life isn't mine anymore. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't, I think I hadn't wanted to say that because I hadn't want to give up my life because I, I kind of liked my life. Sure. Yeah, it's, it sounds like two different things were coexisting in your mind in the sense of like getting our crap together to be baptized, right? right? Like getting your life, like stop doing the things that you shouldn't be doing or or, or achieve this yeah. level of um, a standard of life. Yeah. yeah, to be baptized. And then, which is false, right? Because we can never get it right. Yeah. And then the second side of counting the cost of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to live sacrificially, which is, you know, scary and really hard. Did you hear Michael's sermon last week on the paradox of yeah. following Jesus? Yeah. So I, it makes me think of that. He says, you know, it's going to cost you everything and it's going to cost you nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so it's once you recognize that it will cost you nothing, then you are willing to give everything, perhaps. Sure. Um, and these things are not so polarized and it's not so perfect, which I think is where some of us can get stuck in feeling like a failure all the time or feeling like you don't measure up mm-hmm. because we can't give it all up or we, I mean, we want to, and we, and we take decisions day by day and we wake up and say, Today I want to live for you. Today I want to be sacrificial in how I spend my time. But I also might wake up and, you know, throw my day away. And that doesn't mean that I'm a complete failure, you know. Mm. In terms of, I don't, I guess I'm really wrestling through how the mind is a powerful thing and how we think about things and we can get stuck in loops of, never measuring up. So I, I guess that's mm. more what I'm referring to and and living in the freedom is allows us to release when um release our struggles and move forward instead of spiral out in them. Mm-hmm. So how do we live in the freedom? That's a good question. I think I live in the freedom by it's like moment by moment, right? So I might have a plan for my day. And one of the things that I really try to do is to be present with people over my agenda. And so if I get a text that over, says, Like it's more important than your agenda. Yeah. So people. let's say I plan my day and I'm like, I'm going to clean the house today and I'm going to do the laundry and I'm going to sweep, you know, I'm going to have, I'm going to do these things for my family to get while the kids are at school. And then I get a text that says, Hey, do you want to go for a run? Mm. And it's from a friend who I want to spend time with. It doesn't fit into your agenda. No, I don't have time for that. No. But I always want to have time for people over Mm. the other things. And so I have to weigh out that, you know, invitation. And so um, I'm really trying to be present to people. So my house has been really messy lately. Hmm. That's interesting. That's so often the invitation, I think, from the hot seat model, like the kingdom action, is to let it be a mess. Yeah. See what happens in the mess. 
Yeah. Why does it have to be together? And that sounds something like freedom, actually, a messy house. It is until I come home and start yelling at everyone because the house is a mess. And then I, mm. like, take that, you know, stress of what I think the what I think our life should look like and, and pour it over my family. And obviously mm. I don't always do that. But those are, like, the things that I'm talking about. It's like you take a step into the kingdom, but then the next thing you know, you're reminded that you took a step into the kingdom and you're, like, worldly agenda has blown up right we love our worldly agenda yeah so the thing i'm trying to work through now is doing more um things like making meals for people Hmm. stepping into the things that i'm afraid of so and not just stepping into the things i enjoy there's something so sacred about making meals for people i think i've been thinking about there's a few parables like the kingdom and he says it's like a feast and like we invo- I went and invited everybody mm. and and nobody wanted to come so then we invited the poor and but but what is that about inviting people to a feast maybe even in your home and saying hey like we're going to I'm going to prepare food and we're going to sit and eat together like it's it's transcendent I've been having gatherings at my house with people coming over to eat and eating's like the main thing mm-hmm. and like like if I invited people over just to hang out and have a bonfire, that would be fine and that would be good. But there's another element of like intimacy when we're when we're all consuming the same elements. And um, why do you think that is? Can you talk about an experience in that? Uh, like yeah, I mean like because you have a lot of people over. You've been really stepping into being a leader in our church and inviting people over and kind of seeing what the needs are in our community and really stepping Yeah, up. but it's selfish. Let me make a confession here. <laughs> I bought a house in June, uh, late June, one day before my brother, David, who's older, but I still bought the house before him. And uh, so I bought this house and it was like part of why I bought it was because it has a real big dining room and it has a cool living room and there's like a window between the two. So there's a lot of connectivity of the space. And I'm like, I want to have people over. And so we started doing that like a month and a half, two months ago. And we've had like we had 15 people over last week. Last night, I didn't want to have people over. I was like, you know, I think I'm going to chill. And then I ran into a friend and I said, hey, why don't you come over? Just you and your girlfriend. And and then I was like, I might invite a few people. And there was 13 people. And he came <laughs> over and he was like, obviously, I was an afterthought to this party because you invited me at two o'clock and and I was like no no I just this happened and so there's a good thing there's a rich thing there's a blessed thing of kingdom happening yeah but I can't help but feel like part of my own something in my flesh or ego really enjoys did you ever read the great Gatsby Mm-hmm. Like I did. he just loves throwing these parties just mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's just like hey look what I can do and so like there is an element where I'm like okay like how much of this is for you and um, is or is this some venerable like actual noble act that you're doing? It maybe it's both. So let's break this down. At two o'clock yesterday. Yeah, you didn't have anyone coming over. Nobody. By dinner time at six, six thirty. Six thirty. Yeah. You had thirteen people. Yeah, two of those are roommates. You know what that tells me? What does it tell you? It tells me that people are lonely and want to come over for yeah, dinner. Yeah, that's what I realize. Yeah. And it doesn't really matter what your intentions are in terms of what you 
like it might feed you in a narcissistic or like right way but like it fed them the kingdom way so there's a paradox in us right of because you wouldn't want to stop offering out of the fear of why you're doing it because then 13 or 11 people miss out on the opportunity to experience a kingdom yeah, if I spent, I could spend the rest of my life not do, taking any action. If I only proofed out the actions that could be proved to be 100% pure, you're right. I wouldn't do anything. And Jesus can work with us in where we're at in our yeah. broken. He's like, okay, like, yeah. No, you're right. Um, that's That was my experience. So the people I bought my home from, um, I they have a really cool fire pit. And we had a fire last night. Oh, and, fun. Yeah, it was great. They, I don't think, had a single guest over to have a fire for the five years that they lived there. Fire pit looked totally unused. And based on knowing them, and we had them over a few weeks ago. like You had the people who you bought your house from who you didn't know prior to buying your house? Yes, that's true. <laughs> I have, I'm going to have my physical therapist and realtor over next week. So anyway, and people are like interested. I'm like shocked. I'm like, hey, I'm gonna, do you want to come over for dinner? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, Okay, that's interesting. I'm glad. So I see these people, pretty much everyone. And usually, here's, okay, I don't usually invite families. I don't invite families over because, like, whatever. I'm not, we haven't gotten there. We're going to get there with being able to accommodate kids and, and that whole deal. I invite divorcees. I have, like, this huge divorcee population. And it's bachelors, a lot of single men, and some women who are or divorced or have, like, grown children. Anyway, uh, the people who I bought the house from, I don't think, I mean, maybe they never had a single guest over to their house. It was a really sad place. And I was like, man, why do I get to be here and be someone who does have people come into their house and fill it with good things? Mm-hmm. Most people don't get that. Why me? It's your gift. You enjoy it. it yeah. You have energy for it. I'm sure you're a great host. It's using the gifts that you have, that you've been given to love people. When we lived in Detroit... Yeah, you guys did this. You were we like this have, twice. You, mm-hmm. This was your house. Mm-hmm. We used to have people over, 15 people over a night. That's crazy. And our kids were little and they would sit at the table and, and then get passed around. The groundbreaking moment, which you could... I don't know that you could replicate this because I think it, there is a spiritual component of what God wanted to do in this neighborhood. One day we were going to have a barbecue and we lived in this hundred year old home. It was actually the guest house to the main house. And the wow. story of the original owner is someone famous, but I, I think it might've been the guy. It doesn't matter. So we lived in this guest house and we had this tiny little backyard and David said, let's bring the barbecue out front mm. and, le- and we'll buy a bunch of meat. And this is when we were meat eaters. Oh, yeah. Wow. And we grilled out front. Well, our street was a one-way street, a really small little section of, of Detroit. And our, so a lot of people, when they came off of the busy street where they went to the gas station or to you know the little corner stores to get something, they would walk by to get back to their homes. So that day, it was a beautiful spring day. All of our neighbors ended up at our house, We and they 
went into their homes and brought out food and we had this huge barbecue. I have this picture of Bentley eating a giant piece of chicken, like the leg, but it was huge. And he's just, he's got chicken just coming down his face. It's amazing. And everyone's holding. My kids were always really easy to be held by others. They loved other people. That's cool. Out of that barbecue, we started having our neighbors over every week, every single week. They came to our home. And when it got too cold to be outside, we had it inside. And I loved those dinners. And we moved after living in that home for two years. And we moved only a mile away. And we said, we're going to keep these dinners going. And they died. Hmm. And it crushed me. I didn't realize the cost. I didn't realize that it it was about the space, about being in that particular neighborhood where people wanted to, you know, it. God was doing something in that. And I still am connected through those people on Instagram and Facebook and things. But hmm. all that to say is, I think there is something powerful through dinners and I am afraid now because I don't know. I, I think I got older and I started worrying about what to make and how to make it. And I didn't used to see all the things like the things that were out of place or the things when it's, if something was too spicy or didn't have enough salt or if there wasn't enough, I didn't used to care. I literally didn't care. I was like, Oh, sorry come back next week it'll be better and now it would probably crush me so i gotta work through that but um i love that you have so many people over and i've been wanting to do a big thing for bentley because he's in fifth grade and i wanted to do a thank you dinner so maybe i'll be reaching out to you to help me yeah well tell the educators absolutely and it's on the line of cooking like last night I made some stuff I hadn't made before and it was fine. It wasn't as some of the stuff didn't turn out well. And there's like this moment where I can choose shame and hiding because I'm like, I made food that wasn't like spectacular for 13 people. And they all said, Oh no, no, it's good. But then like the honest ones were like, yeah, no, it's like, it'll get better, which I really appreciated that Mm because he's saying like, it doesn't have to be perfect now and it's going to improve. And so like, there is a choice though, for me to like even go to the table of decision and say like, ah, and start spiraling because there's something so exposing about cooking for a bunch of people and then not getting it right. Cause that's so sacred. Someone saying, I will put it in my body. I'm trust, like the trust built in someone right. saying, I will like put whatever you think I should eat into my body. Um, and also 10 minutes before the guests started showing up, I was chopping sweet potatoes. That's really hard. Have you yeah. ever done that? Yeah. You, yeah. Really hard, and so I have this really sharp knife from Jimmy John's. My brother works there, and I just sliced my finger open and it started oh, no. bleeding everywhere, you know, profusely. And I'm just like, I don't, I can't do this right now. And I'm home alone. My roommates aren't there yet, and so like I, I stopped the bleeding. So I thought I went back to cutting, and then like I'm bleeding on the sweet potatoes. I ended up throwing those out for anyone <laughs> who was there. Um, but I was like. Wow, like, okay, what am I, was I not supposed to have people over? Like, how do I interpret mm-hmm. these signs? Mm-hmm. And then it was fine. No one, my brother saw the blood in the bathroom. I was able to clean it up pretty good, but um, anyway. Yeah, I think there's a message of, you know, people probably won't remember next year if you ask them, like, remember that time I had you over? Like, what I mean, did we eat? Weren't the sweet potatoes, like, mushy? Yeah. That's what it was. It was I made the sweet potatoes, like. But they'll probably know. remember that you invited them. Yeah. That's. Um, that's really beautiful. Yeah. So 
you got back on track. You got baptized. (laughs) And you got baptized in the morning, so... My family didn't see it, but then yeah, the church played the video. Oh, that's true. And your my children and I, father-in-law, and I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, lots I'm of sorry. people came to support you. I didn't. You were running a half marathon that morning. Oh yeah. yeah. So I was with the kids. Anyway, sorry. And um, they came because they really wanted to support you. And then in the evening church, they played the video, so we got to watch it. And when the video was over. At the end of church, you came and shared an announcement. Mm. Can you tell us about... I want to hear the little story behind... Yeah. Well, thanks for asking. So, um, my legal name, uh, still at this moment, and I think I may change it, is Kevin Caleb Sommets. And of my five brothers, I mean, maybe I see life... uh, I do see life a lot in terms of being one of five offspring from my parents, but... My brother's names are David, Stephen, Philip, and Peter. Those are all biblical names. Some of them, like, extremely biblical. And I was given the name Kevin, which is a fine name, I suppose. Um, but Do you know why it was you were given the name Kevin? No, not really. Oh, there's no, like, family member or story? No, it just it seemed to fit. And But I was going to be Caleb. And so for the first few days of my life, I didn't have a name. And Caleb was on the list, and they were considering it. And... Um, they elected to um, go with Caleb as a middle name, even though I think they really wanted to. My dad always sort of lamented the fact that he didn't because Caleb is a man of a different spirit in the scriptures, and his story is one of someone who's bold and um, determined. And so I became Kevin Caleb, but my dad has always affectionately called me Cal, short for Caleb, and I really like that. Mm. It's like... It almost feels like my heavenly father. Like all these other voices say Kevin, and then someone says Cal, and I'm like, oh, I feel loved. And so I have thought about, I had thought about changing it, I think, for a little while, and then the baptism seemed to be like an organic time to do that. But um, I didn't because, well, it just, that's a big thing. Can you imagine what's your middle name? Lynn? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, okay. Yeah. Can you imagine going by Lynn? No. And telling people like, "Hey, you need to call me Lynn now." Like that's a it's a radical shift. Sure. Although I, since we're talking about name changes, this is really surfacey. But when I was in high school, my friends didn't want to call me Adrian, especially on my team. They thought it was too long. Too long. And so they said, "What could we call you instead?" And I said, "I don't know." My grandmother called me Dree, so they call me Dree. And once. My teammates started calling me Dree. The whole school started calling me Dree. And if you see friends of mine from high school, they still call me Dree. And really? then when I went to college, I introduced myself as Adrian. And my best friend came to visit from Oregon mm-hmm. in probably October. And, of course, she only called me Dree. And so then it – so I think name changes, They people like nicknames, and they like to call you what you want to be called. And they like that it's sort of like – an invitation to be close to you because hmm. you get to be part of calling someone something special. And so it was really easy for people to make that transition. But when I met David, he did not like Dree. Really? So I became Adrian again. Back to, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I like Dree. Yeah. That's a cool name for you. Well, you can call me Dree. All right. I might practice that um, 
Adrienne. Yeah, it's one of the three syllables. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, so I was, I, did, I didn't have the courage to, to do it. I just couldn't get over the hump. And we gathered as a family after the baptism at my brother David's house. And they, we, my brother read this prayer, which was really beautiful. And then after the prayer, we're sitting there and he says, so dad mentioned this earlier because dad kind of started to go into it during the baptism. He said, Kevin, Caleb, he goes, Caleb's his middle name. And, but then he stopped and he didn't go any further. And David said, I, I, I'd like to pick up where he left off. And I'm wondering if you would like to be known as Caleb now. Oh, David asked that. Yeah. Brother. He invited that. Oh, wow. And I was like, I just started weeping. Oh. And was like, uh, yeah, yes, I do. And. So I I made that change in choice in front of my family first, which was seemed appropriate. Um, and then I came back and cooked white sauce for the evening service, and and announced that to to the um, to the PM crowd. Um, so as I talked to Sue about it, and she was like, "Yeah, it seems kind of appropriate that like this whole thing, your baptism and name change, wasn't a lone wolf thing." Because mm-hmm. I was baptized by my father and by Eric. Right. And and then to have my brother step in, who is my closest person that I've had in my life, um, step in and, and be the person who really just, like, picked up my sword and handed it to me. He's like, hey, yeah, you can do this. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. I, I will. I will. I am going to do this. It's been extremely odd and, and difficult in weird ways to like it's dissociative to be like I'm Caleb now and I'm like applying for jobs and I'm hmm. get, getting callbacks for Caleb and I'm like whoa uh, but um yeah so that that was where it originated from and I'm <laughs> Eric preached like 6 8 months ago about Caleb from the Bible and he was like and this like irritated me at the time but then I was I was like oh you're actually right he's like now Caleb actually in the Hebrew means dog and uh, which is like a low term, you know, and I was like, I thought Caleb meant bold or faithful. And it does. We've adopted it to mean that. But the actual Hebrew word Caleb meant dog. And I'm like, you know what, though? I am good with that because what is a dog? It's a, a, a dog is faithful, devoted and without escape clause, loyal to their master. Mm-hmm. And so, like I was saying and being baptized, like I am submitted and Jesus has lordship in my life, and I will be a dog. I I will just lovingly and faithfully devote myself. Like that's not a bad image. Dog, dogged determination. Sure. So I I, it doesn't mean cat. Cat's a little more mercurial. <laughs> Did you want to read the poem for us? Yeah, actually, I I do. How did you know? Okay. Our lives are so small, O Lord, our vision so limited, our courage so frail, our hours so fleeting. Therefore, give us grace and guidance for the journey ahead. We are gathered here because we believe that we are called together into a work we cannot yet know the fullness of. Still, we trust the voice of the one who has called us. And so we offer to you, O God, these things, our dreams, our plans, our vision. Shape them as you will. Our moments and our gifts, may they be invested toward bright, eternal ends. Richly bless the work before us, Father. 
Shepherd us well, lest we grow enamored of our own accomplishment or entrenched in old habit. Instead, let us listen for your voice, our hearts ever open to the quiet beckonings of your spirit in this endeavor. Let us, in true humility and poverty of spirit, remain ever ready to move at the impulse of your love in paths of your design. You alone, O God, by your gracious and life-giving spirit, have power to knit our imperfect hearts, our weaknesses, our strengths, our stories, and our gifts, one to another. Unite your people and multiply our meager offerings, O Lord, that all might resound to your glory. May our acts of service and creation, frail and wanting as they are, be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your Spirit, who weaves all things together towards a redemption more good and glorious than we have yet eyes to see or courage to hope for. May our love and our labors now echo your love and your labors, O Lord. Let all that we do here in these brief lives, in this brief moment to love, in this brief work you have ordained for this community, flower and winsome and beautiful foretaste of greater glories yet to come. O Spirit of God, now shape our hearts. O Spirit of God, now guide our hands. O Spirit of God, now build your kingdom among us. Amen. It's long. But... And so your brother read that? Yeah, he read that, and I was just like, wow, that's... It's just really deep and resonated. It's from a book of liturgies. And I just was like mesmerized. And then pretty pretty much after that, he's like, hey, so I want to invite you to be Caleb. Mm. And that's that's what happened. That's a really cool or story. people can call me Cal, too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Do you correct people who don't know yet? No. Um or is it more like a nickname where people are like, oh, I thought your name was Kevin. And you're like, well, people who know me best actually call me Cal. No, I'm just telling people my name's Caleb or Cal, and they can choose to engage in that or not. Some some have said, some long-term friends have said, no, no, like we're never going to do that. You will always be Kevin. Sorry, forever. So that's your new nickname, right? What's, it's like a nickname from your friends. Kevin? Yeah. I know. I was thinking about that. It's like a... The affectionate, like, people that really like me and know me call me Kevin. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's not true. What's in a name? You know, the old adage, what's in a name? It's mm-hmm. like everything's in a name. Like mm-hmm. What we call each other, it matters. And Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That's really beautiful. My mom said that my name meant rich in love. Hmm. But she used to always say, no, no, no. It your name means dark and rich, but she said not rich in money, rich mm. in love, and she always made that distinguish. Cause dark and rich. Mm-hmm. Wow, like chocolate or something. Yeah, like, that's huh. what I think of. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that story with us, and I think that or the poem. One of the things I loved about it was talking about how our acts of service are, in some ways. Can, let me see the frail and wanting as they be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Read that part again. May our acts of service and creation, frail and wanting as they are, be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your spirit who works all things together towards a redemption more good and glorious than we yet have eyes to see or courage to hope for. Amen. I mean, That's like everything, right? It's our stepping into 
acts of service, stepping into hosting people and mm. not knowing. We have no idea how that ripples out into eternity, how that ripples out into people's lives. Wow. And so. That is beautiful, right? Take our frail, wanting, human, selfish, great Gatsby and acts. Yeah. May they be met and multiplied by the mysterious workings of your spirit. And then there's a redemption more good and glorious coming through the co-creation of us and the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, you really tied that in well. Good job, Adrian. (laughs) Thanks for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Take care. So you've been listening to Healing the City podcast with Adrian Crawford. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 